Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Sanctify us through your word, dear Lord, because your word is truth. Make us instruments by which your will will be done on this earth. Help us, Lord, to do the work of reform that has been committed to us. Help us, Father, that as we go through your word now, your spirit shall be upon us, that we will not rest it out of its true meaning, but that we will rightly divide the word of truth and give us grace to put into practice all we learn. I commit myself unto you, Lord, as I will be speaking. Please put your words in my mouth, that your words may be faithfully preached and that all of us shall be blessed by it. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. September 22 In the spirit of Elijah He will go out before God in the spirit and power of Elijah to reconcile fathers and children and bring back the disobedience to the wisdom of good men and he will make a people fully ready for their Lord Luke chapter 1 verse 17 God had called the son of Zechariah to a great work, the greatest ever committed to men. John was to go forth as Jehovah's messenger to bring to men the light of God. He must give a new direction to their thoughts. He must impress them with the holiness of God's requirements and their need of his perfect righteousness. Such a messenger must be holy. He must be a temple for the indwelling Spirit of God. In order to fulfill his mission, he must have a sound physical constitution and mental and spiritual strength. Therefore, it will be necessary for him to control the appetites and passions. He must be able so to control all his powers that he could stand among men as unmoved by surrounding circumstances as the rocks and mountains of the wilderness. In the time of John the Baptist, greed for riches and the love of luxury and display had become widespread. Sensuous pleasures, feasting and drinking were causing physical disease and degeneracy, benumbing the spiritual perceptions and lessening the sensibility to sin. John was to stand as a reformer. By his abstemious life and plain dress, he was to rebuke the excesses of his time. Hence the directions given to the parents of John, a lesson of temperance by an angel from the throne of heaven. In preparing the way for Christ's first advent, he was a representative of those who are to prepare a people for our Lord's second coming. The world is given to self-indulgence. Errors and fables abound. Satan's snares for destroying are multiplied. All who would perfect holiness in the fear of God must learn the lessons of temperance and self-control. The appetites and passions must be held in subjection to the higher powers of the mind. 
this self-discipline is essential to that mental strength and spiritual insight which will enable us to understand and to practice the sacred truths of God's word. For this reason, temperance finds its place in the work of preparation for Christ's second coming. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is In the Spirit of Elijah. This devotion is largely about temperance and its connection with holiness and the preparation for the second coming of Jesus. It is also about the conditions of greed and indulgence that existed in the days of John the Baptist and how he was to stand as a different person in opposition to these conditions in his time and how this applies to us today. It is about how in order to prepare a people for the coming of the Lord, we must ourselves be holy just as John was holy. And if we must impress people with the need to be holy, then you know what must follow. We must be holy ourselves. If we must teach people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we ourselves must be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, we'll go into it now. The parents of John were told that He would be the one who would come in the spirit and power of Elijah and prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. This was the most important work ever committed to man and the most honorable too. But we also read here in Conflict and Courage, page 271, paragraph 4, like we concluded in devotion, that as John was a representative, that John is a representative of those who are to prepare a people for the Lord's second coming. So if John's work was the greatest ever committed to men, then what do you think would be the way you would qualify the work of those who are preparing people for the second coming of Jesus? I would say that that work is even greater than the work of John the Baptist. The world was given to self-indulgence in his days. Errors and fables abounded. Satan's snares for destroying were multiplied. But you would agree with me that today, there is a similarity in the sense of the sin, but when it comes to the how to how widespread these sins are, oh no, today it is terrible. And we are told in Conflict and Courage, page 272, paragraph 5, in order to give such a message as John gave, we must have a spiritual experience like his. The same work must be wrought in us. We must behold God and in beholding him lose sight of self. End of quote. One experience that John had was the experience of temperance. His diet was well chosen. His lifestyle in general was well calculated to put him in a state where the Holy Spirit will dwell in him. This work of temperance is a work that we are to do for ourselves and for others who are within our sphere of influence, our children, our words, friends, and as many as would permit us to do so for them, including strangers. This is why the work of parenting is to be entered into wisely. Like we read yesterday in Ministry of Healing, page 380, paragraph 1 to 3, that too much importance cannot be placed upon the early training of the children. The lessons learned, the habits formed during the years of infancy and childhood have more to do with the formation of the character and the direction of the life than have all the instruction and training of after years. Parents need to consider this. They should understand the principles that underlie the care and training of children. They should be capable of rearing them in physical, mental, and moral health. Parents should study the laws of nature. 
they should become acquainted with the organism of the human body. They need to understand the functions of the various organs and their relation and dependence. They should study the relation of the mental to the physical powers and the conditions required for the healthy action of each. To assume the responsibilities of parenthood without such preparation is a sin." End of quote. So in order to preserve health and to prepare ourselves for this work to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the work of temperance must be done. Councils on Diet and Food, page 23, paragraph 1 says, In order to preserve health, temperance in all things is necessary. Temperance in labor, temperance in eating and drinking. Our Heavenly Father sent the light of health reform to guard against the evils resulting from a debased appetite, that those who love purity and holiness may know how to use with discretion the good things he has provided for them, and that by exercising temperance in daily life, they may be sanctified through the truth." End of quote. So what is temperance or abstemiousness? It means the total abstinence from things that are harmful and as we read, knowing how to use with discretion the good things that God has provided for us. That is what temperance is about. And why is it so important that we are temperate? Reading from Councils on Diets and Foods, page 44, paragraph 2, we are told, It is not possible for us to glorify God while living in violation of the laws of life. The heart cannot possibly maintain consecration to God while lustful appetite is indulged. A diseased body and disordered intellect, because of continual indulgence in hurtful lusts, make sanctification of body and spirit impossible. The apostle understood the importance of the healthful conditions of the body for the successful perfection of Christian character. He says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He mentions the, the fruit of the Spirit among which is temperance. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts." End of quote. Again in Councils on Diet and Food, page 23, paragraph 2, we are, set, we are told, Let it ever be kept before the mind that the great object of hygienic reform is to secure the highest possible development of mind and soul and body. All the laws of nature, which are the laws of God, are designed for our good. Obedience to them will promote our happiness in this life and will aid us in preparation for the life to come." End of quote. So, this is just explaining to us why this work of temperance is important. So why is it important? Like we read in page 44 paragraph 2 of Councils on Diet and Food, it is impossible for the Spirit of God to dwell in us without it. And it is impossible for us to have sanctification of our body and of our spirit without temperance. Again, we are seeing that the object of temperance and hygienic reform is for us to secure the highest possible development of mind and soul and body. And we have seen that temperance simply means using wisely and with discretion the good things that God has given to us and abstaining, total abstinence from things that are harmful and hurtful. Another reason why this is important is found in the book 
First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, we are told, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. It then becomes anyone who is a child of God to ask himself, what does it mean to defile the temple of God? This is no for those who want to spiritualize things and just throw things into the trash heap of Old Testament and say we don't need to practice it. This is New Testament. And even in this time, we are to still realize that our body is the temple of God. It has not stopped being the temple of God till today as ever it has always been since God created Adam. This our body is the temple of God and it is God himself who will tell us what we do that defiles the temple and what we do that preserves it in holiness and purity. We have looked at things like this before. Reading on counts from Councils on Diets and Food, page 43, paragraph 2, it says, With our first parents, intemperate desire resulted in the loss of Eden. Temperance in all things has more to do with our restoration to Eden than men realize. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, it then becomes us to ask ourselves, what are the good things that we are supposed to do and what are the things that we should completely avoid? In the life of John the Baptist, we see the angel giving a direct instruction to the parents, telling them, take no wine. Alcohol is one thing that should never enter into the mouth or tongue of anyone who is a reformer of anyone who is preparing for the coming of the Lord and who wants the Holy Spirit to dwell in him or her. Councils on Diet and Food, page 43, paragraph 3, tells us that transgression of physical law is the transgression of God's law. Our Creator is Jesus Christ. He is the author of our being. He has created a human structure. He is the author of physical laws and He is the author of the moral law. And the human being who is careless and reckless of the habits and practices that concern his physical life and health sins against God. Many who profess to love Jesus Christ do not show proper reverence and respect for him who gave his life to save them from eternal death. He is not reverenced or respected or recognized. This is shown by the injury done to their own bodies in violation of the laws of their being. And in page 44, paragraph 1, we are told, Excessive indulgence in eating, drinking, sleeping, or seeing is sin. The harmonious, healthy action of all the powers of body and mind results in happiness. And the more elevated and refined the powers, the more pure and unalloyed the happiness. End of quote. So, like I was saying earlier, some hurtful things are not to be taken at all and the things that are good are to be used wisely and with discretion. So what are some examples of these good things before we talk about the hurtful things? For example, water. Water is to be used judiciously. When you wake up in the morning, you drink water. Why? Because you need to eliminate the filth in your body. You need to throw away the dirt from the, in the waste materials. Sweat is important and water is used to take away sweat. And then the, the feces in your intestine, your large intestine, needs to move out and something needs to push it out and that is water. Again, your body is made up of 70% water. The good blood, if you must have good blood, which is essential to having a good mind and a good body, sound health, sound health, you must have water. 
that will allow the body not the blood not to move sluggishly but to move freely transporting the materials and nutrients from place to place water is essential but how you take it matters that's why we talk about discretion so how should we take water like i said you wake up in the morning and you take it one cup or two two to say uh, depending on your where you are of course but if it's for excreting it doesn't matter where you are even if you are in a cold cold place you need to take a lot of water to flush out things in your system not i know that when you are in a cold region you may not lose as much water as those people who are living in the places that are warmer but when it comes to elimination it doesn't matter we all need to take as much water not because we've lost it but because we want to help to push out the waste materials in our body and we should not take water with our food because it hinders digestion the stomach works too hard to remove the water if you have some knowledge of science you know that pouring water into a reaction what does it do to it it dilutes it and it makes it makes it difficult for the reaction to take place you bring two things to react one chemical and another chemical do you add water to it check in your chemistry you don't usually use water you just bring these two things to react they are concentrated and then you have your product when you pour water into that reaction it makes it difficult for the reaction to take place what the stomach now does which is the machine that does the reaction it has to remove the water at first water first before your food digest do not take food along with your water for those who eat foods that feel like their saliva is draining while they are while they are eating the food it is because before you ate the food your body was dehydrated if you have enough water your mouth will produce enough saliva to masticate that food and it will not get drained out of your tongue water is to be taken judiciously not with your food and also enough so when do you take food water after eating you allow the food to digest give it some one hour 30 minutes to two hours to digest before you then take water and allow the stomach to rest with respect to how you take care of your body now the machinery the stomach that does the cleansing you have to ensure that you give time for it to rest Reading from This Day with God, page 210, paragraph 3, we are told, There should be no eating between meals, and at least five hours should, should be allowed to elapse between the meals. Indigestion, which many of us face, is the result of food taken into the stomach before the digestive organs have had time to dispose of the foregoing meal, that's the previous meal, end of quote. That is something that we all need to take care of. And when you start to have indigestion, it affects the mind and it affects the whole body. Again, going on in the reading, this day with God, page 210, paragraph 4 now, it says three meals are sufficient and two meals are better than three. The dullness from which people suffer is often caused by overeating and by eating at irregular periods. Dyspepsia brings despondency, and one suffering from this disease, though he may profess to be a Christian, acts in an unchristlike manner. End of quote. So here we are also learning that we should give, like we read, give five hours between each meal, and also two meals a day is better than three. But of course, that is 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 um, flexible. If you want to take two, you want to take three. But if you are someone who does sedentary work two meals will most likely be better for you but if you are somebody who does physical labor then it's understood why such a person would want to take three meals a day but then it doesn't take remove the fact that between each meal you should have five hours at least five to six hours difference between each meal the stomach should be allowed to rest between 
each meal. Then we are told in page 210 paragraph 8 it says, Try going without flesh meat for 6 months and see if a change for the better does not take place. I ask you to do this at once. Let your imagination be sanctified. Let your mind and conscience be awakened, your whole being aroused. Guard yourself against giving yourself too much sympathy. Be heroic. Be determined to overcome perverted appetite. End of quote. So, this is talking about, I've just talked about water, how to take care of the body, and even how we eat. Another thing is understanding what to eat that is right. We just read now, stay away from flesh food and you will see that your mind will be better. And then, eat foods that are good, natural, plant-based diet, which is what God gave to us as the original and best food for our body. It has a way to keep you in the best condition, of course, when you do things right, when you eat it right. Combining too many foods at once is not the best. You will not keep yourself in the best condition of mind when you do that. There's more that can be said on that and I, it's left for us to go and make researches on how we can do that. This book I'm reading from now, Councils on Diets and Food, I recommend for all who wants to understand it. It's written by Ellen G. White. You can go and look for the book and benefit yourself by reading it. Another thing that we must use judiciously is sleep. Uh, the best time to sleep is two hours before midnight so talking about to be very specific eight o'clock nine o'clock at most ten i know that sometimes things may make you go a little bit past ten but don't stretch it till 12 midnight try as much as possible if not to allow it to stretch past 10 till 11 and 12 just understand that you are you get the best sleep when you sleep two hours before midnight ten eight nine eight that's the best time for you to have your sleep and it has been proven that truly the body gets the best rest around this time because it starts to release melatonin which helps to soothe the nerves and rejuvenate the body and it's only when you're at rest that the body benefits from this hormone called melatonin but if you stay awake and you're not at rest you will not benefit from it if you sleep ever so long but you sleep too late 12 o'clock 1 o'clock 2 o'clock you won't get the benefit the melatonin stops being released by 3 around that time around 3 a.m stops being released so you have very little of it you get ben- you get the benefit for a very little of it but if you sleep early enough around like i said 8 9 10 your body gets full benefits of melatonin and you are rejuvenated to your youth how many times have you slept late and wake up uh, later on even if you sleep six seven hours you find out that it's not the best but when you sleep early you can even wake up early you don't even need to sleep too long you can even sleep six hours but you but as far as you slept early you find out that you wake up early and you are doing fine so judicious use of sleep sleeping with discretion is good other good things are study and mental work it must be moderated do not study to the point where you drain your mind you will get sick study moderately also sunlight is good but do not stay under the sun for too long it will even give you some headache then there's the physical taxation not just studying with the mind now even physical physical taxation should have its limits and then your fresh air and exercise all of this should be done but it should be done judiciously like we read in councils on diet and food page 44 paragraph 1 excessive indulgence in eating even of the best foods drinking even of water sleeping or seeing that is your reading and study it is a sin when you use it do it too much the harmonious healthy action of all the powers of body and mind results in happiness 
Amen. Then how about the things to avoid? Anything that is harmful, sugar, flesh foods, completely avoid, alcohol, tobacco, tea, coffee, all these things, condiments and spices, completely avoid. Stay away from them. They harm the body. Chemicals that are in these processed foods are to be avoided. Monosodium glutamate, that's what we call seasoning today, like they call it in some places. Magi, Ajinomoto, Vedan, whatever name, brand name they give to it. But the content, the chemical content is monosodium glutamate. It is not good for the body. By sodium bicarbonate, potassium bicarbonate, baking soda, which is used to bake many things today, not good. White flour, not the best. Sugar, not good. Mixing it with milk, worse. We are to avoid these things because they do not keep our mind in the right state. And anything, because there are so many things sold out there. The, the lesser you buy things that are processed, the better for you because you don't know what they're mixing in those things. We can actually survive without having to buy unnatural things. We can't buy just natural things and survive on them. The fruits, the grains, the nuts, the seeds, natural, prepare them for yourself and you are good to go. One food that is very good for people to take is the grains and the fruits very very good there are people today who want to make you think that these things are not good for your body and they will tell you they contain this they contain that grains will do this to your stomach and all that you know we live by faith we don't walk by sight we are doing what we are doing because the lord asked us to do it we eat what we are eating because god said so and we trust that he will do what he said we will do when we obey so we are not to allow anyone to come with false science telling us that the fruits are not good for us or the grains are not good for us who do you believe the scientist or god we need to believe god above the scientists and then now apart from the temperance we also read in our devotion today that in the days of john the baptist greed for riches love of luxury and display had become widespread and the degeneracy was denombing, benumbing the minds of the people and their spiritual perceptions and they were their ability to sense sin was lessening so what can we do to avoid this like we saw yesterday we must secure a pure moral atmosphere for ourselves country living page one page 14 paragraph 5 says i urge our people to make it their life work to seek for spirituality christ is at the door this is why I say to our people, do not consider it a privation when you are called to leave the cities and move out into country places. Here, there await rich blessings for those who will grasp them. By beholding the scenes of nature, the works of the Creator, by studying God's handiwork imperceptibly, you will be changed into the same image. Amen. And I want this experience. It goes on to say, it would be well for you to lay by your perplexing cares and find a retreat in the country where there is not so strong an influence to corrupt the morals of the young. True, you will not be entirely free from annoyances and perplexing cares in the country, but you would dare avoid many evils and close the door against a flood of temptations which threaten to overpower the minds of your children. They need employment and variety. The sameness of their homes makes them uneasy and restless, and they have fallen into the habit of mingling with the vicious lads of the town, thus obtaining a street education. To live in the country would be very beneficial to them. An active out-of-door life would develop health of body, mind and body. Health of both mind and body. 
they should have a garden to cultivate where they might find both amusement and useful employment. The training of plants and flowers tends to the improvement of taste and judgment, while an acquaintance with God's useful and beautiful creations has a refining and ennobling influence upon the mind, referring it to the maker and master of all. End of quote. Amen. Some people are considering, if I go to the countryside, I will lose so many advantages. Yes, but Jesus says, Matthew 16, verse 24 to 26, What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And he tells us, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Now, this doesn't mean that we go to the countryside and we have nothing to do to sustain ourselves. Like we said yesterday, we go to the countryside in common sense. There must be something that we do. It will be a, a means of livelihood that we have. So that means you don't stay too far away from the cities. You can live in the country and work in the cities. Or stay in uh, places that are more recluse from the large cities. The smaller cities, one can stay there. But the main thing, remember, is to have nature around, like we read now, to help to remove this sameness. You wake up, the child in the morning, in their holidays, they are inside the house, there's nothing to do. They just are restless and every day is like that but when you have a place a field a garden that they can cultivate and also find some amusement around them it helps the child and gradually you will not know what's happening but the mind will be changed by beholding they will become changed by being around nature they will become changed and it will counteract the things that are happening in the cities which is the love of luxury and display and the lessening of the sensibility to sin by the by staying far away from sin and not seeing it too often we become sensible to it some of us cannot blush some of us we have seen sin so much that it doesn't move us we see it and it's just like yeah that's how it is but if we stay far away from it at least our senses will be awakened to see the exceeding sinfulness of sin and in mark chapter 4 verse 18 and 19 we are told that the seed which were sown among thorns represents such that hear the word of God and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. So we shouldn't allow the cares of this life to be the reason why we do not move to the, to the countryside to help ourselves and our children. Now, having done all of this, there is still another avenue which we have to be careful about and ensure that we protect the children and ourselves too, and that is the school and the television. How is it possible that a John the Baptist of today will spend time looking at the filth in the internet and in the television? The world today is in reality like that of John the Baptist. The only difference is that our time is even far worse than his. It is indeed filled with excesses on every hand, and sin raises its ugly head in public so that it is almost impossible for us to maintain sanity of mind and purity of heart. Satan is making evil so widespread, and if we are like John the Baptist, indeed filled with the Holy Ghost, we will not find ourselves going closer and closer to the evil of the world, but we will, as the Lord opens the way, we draw more and more from the evil of the world and where it is located. One source of these evils is the schools. There is need for a reform in the system and principles of education. 
if we are to suppress all evil and avoid the sensuous pleasures, feasting and drinking that were causing physical disease and are causing it today, that we're causing it in John's day and are causing it today, then we must do this. So what happens in the school? Can a child be temperate in the schools of today? I strongly doubt. Reading from Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 326, we're told, Send the children to schools located in the city where every phase of temptation is waiting to attract and demoralize them and the work of character building is tenfold harder for both parents and children." End of quote. So basically in many schools today, they eat about four times between 7 a.m. to 3 a.m. They are taught the principles of Satanism. Let me just say 7 a.m. They eat their first meal in the morning. They have a short break. They eat again. They have a long break. They eat again. And then when they close, they eat again. And that's just between 7 to 3. Is that temperance? No. Temperance is impossible in the schools. Because these things are ordered for them and just given to them like that. And then what again? They are taught the principles of Satanism, which is that envy that comes in the form of grading and competition which breeds that rivalry, jealousy and hatred. The image of God is effaced from the mind of the child through this system of competition. And how about the extracurricular activities? That's just a fine way of saying surfeiting and drunkenness. They are taught judo, karate, ballet, cultural dances, the dances of the world, drama, debate, sports, all of the culture of Satan. These things are the signature of paganism and an invention of Satan. Reading from Country Living Now, page 14, paragraph 1 and downward, we are told, It is Satan's purpose to attract men and women to the cities and to gain his object. He invents every kind of novelty and amusement, every kind of excitement. And and the cities of the earth today are becoming as were the cities before the flood. And I would say the schools is the hub of this continuing the reading it says we should carry a continual burden as we see the fulfillment of the words of christ as the days of noah were so shall also the coming of the son of man be matthew 24 verse 37 in the days before the flood every kind of amusement was invented to lead men and women to forgetfulness and sin today satan is working with intensity that the same conditions of evil shall prevail and the earth is becoming corrupt we cannot fail to see that the end of the world is soon to come. Satan is working upon the minds of men and women, and many seem filled with a desire for amusement and excitement. As it was in the days of Noah, every kind of evil is on the increase. Divorce and marriage is the order of the time. At such a time as this, the people who are seeking to keep the commandments of God should look for retired places away from the cities. Page 15, paragraph 3 says, Better than any other inheritance of wealth you can give your children will be the gift of a healthy body, a sound mind, and a noble character. What we have read so far, all of this happens in the schools. From one party to another, from one holiday to another, they use it as an excuse to bring in amusement, entertainment that educates the children in the way of devil of the devil and to make them loathe to read their Bible, loathe to uh, do the things of God. Because God's own things now, they look at it like, oh, it's not as exciting, it's not as fun, it's not as pleasurable. And now, what do they want to do? They now want to make God fun. 
and to make God fun, they have to change the things in the word of God, change the practices so that it will look like that of Satan so that it can now be palatable to the children. So what do they do? Oh, since the children love to act drama and they taught them in the school, then they bring the dramas into the church so that they can have fun. At least let the church be fun for them and exciting. And since they love to do choreography in the schools, dancing to worldly music, then they bring the same choreography into the church of the Lord. And since they love to watch cartoons, oh, now they make images in the church too. Cartoons that will tell lies about the story in the word of God to give to the children. And many of them, many of these cartoons are filled with all kinds of things that are lies. I'm talking of the cartoons that display and act things that claim to be Bible stories. They will act Moses, act David, and all of them, they act in such a way to tell lies, false witnesses. Why do you have to give the children the cartoons? Because they've gotten accustomed to it through the schools that they attended. And that is one way the devil educates them. I mentioned earlier television. I'm not saying that television is bad or internet is bad. I'm talking about what comes out of it. And that is where we need to be careful. One thing that they teach the children is mischief through these cartoons. The Looney Tunes, the Bugs Bunny, the Tom and Jerry, the Daffy Duck, the Tweety and Sylvester. All those things. SpongeBob SquarePants. What are they educating them in? All kinds of evil. What is Disney like today? People are complaining about the homosexual agenda. But how about the agenda to make them mischievous? Where children are playing pranks. Where they do all kinds of things in the name of having fun. Tom and Jerry, that's what it's about. Schools, you go and you see somebody wants to sit down, one child will remove the seat and the person falls down. Where did they learn it from? From the cartoons. Nobody complained, but now they are complaining about the LGBT agenda in the cartoons. Is that the only thing that is bad? There's worse things than, than that. There are evil seeds that have been sown in the mind of the children. And how about the love-sick sentimentalism that comes from the cartoons like Cinderella, Snow White and Seven Dwarfs, Frozen and Beauty and the Beast and all of that. They educate them in satanic principles with these so-called innocent but not innocent, very, very dangerous cartoons. We must take our children away from these influences if we must do the work that God has committed to us. Like I was reading in Conflict and Courage, page 15, paragraph 3, better than any other inheritance of wealth you can give to your children would be the gift of a healthy body, a sound mind, and a noble character. Those who understand what constitutes life's true success will be wise betimes. They will keep in view life's best things in their choice of a home. End of quote. What is true success? What do you define as true success? Is it amount of money you have? If you think that way, then that's why you may not want to take this step. But if you understand what life's true success is, and which is that you know God, then you will do everything to make yourself and your children to know God. And what do we learn about that? Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, or the mighty man in his might, or the rich man in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. John the Baptist got the advantages of knowing God. He was not wealthy. He did not have riches. He did not have power and his position and might, but he and his parents understood what life's true success is about. It's about the knowledge of God. You may lose the world's goods. You may lose the approbation of the world. You may not rise high in position just like the people of the world. But that is not success. If you know God, that is success. So make the decision that will place you in a better position to know God. And what does it mean to know God? 
first john chapter 2 verse 3 and 4 hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments whosoever said i know him and keepeth not his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him to know god is to keep his commandments so to make decisions to select your home in such a place that will give you the better advantage to keep god's commandments to say stay away from the schools of the world and be in a, another school or even just train the child in the home that will give them the legacy of the knowledge of god of keeping his commandments that is true success and when you understand that you will keep in view life's best things and you will bequeath that to your child i pray the lord impresses these things in our hearts and remember what we have already studied concerning our health temperance that is the other thing we must have in mind i remember talking about water water in the morning i said cup but i would rather say I'd rather give a measurement because when I say cup, it doesn't, everybody has different cups. But a liter of water in the morning before you eat and remember to avoid water when you eat. Just to add that information to make it more clear and succinct. That is what we must do. So remember the work of temperance and also a pure moral atmosphere, avoiding evil influences. This will prepare us to have the Holy Spirit in us and so that we can help others to prepare for the coming of the Lord. Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for the words that you have spoken to us. Please give us the grace to put all that we have learned into practice. The work of temperance and the work of creating a pure moral atmosphere for ourselves and going country living. I pray, Lord, please open the way for us and help us to put these things in practice. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Now don't you let nobody turn you around, turn you around, turn you around. Now don't you let nobody turn you around. Keep on the Galilee. Now don't you let nobody turn you around, turn you around, turn you around. Now don't you let nobody turn you around. Keep on the Galilee. I would not be.
let nobody turn you around. Turn you around. Turn you around. Don't you let nobody turn you around. Keep on the Galilee. Now don't you let nobody turn you around. Turn you around. Turn you around. Now don't you let nobody turn you around. Keep on the Galilee. Keep on to Galilee.